Good morning. Uh, the reading this morning is taken from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dawn, very much. Hello again, everybody. We're continuing to look through John's Gospel at most of our services this term. We'll have a little break for Ascension and Pentecost over the next couple of Sundays, but that's where our focus is. Uh, let's pray, and as we sang a moment ago, let's pray, that, jotted down the words, we're saying, show me who you are. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your love for us and that you started to reveal your glory to the disciples at this first miracle. We pray, pour your Holy Spirit down on us, on me as I speak, on us as we listen, and show us more of who you are, that we would trust you more. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you like doing maths and the sums. Some of you will have been doing that from the reading. Some of you will be very grateful for anybody else to do that for you. Six stone water jars, <clears throat> each holding 80 to 120 litres, we're talking seven or eight, nine hundred bottles of good quality wine. Uh, Jesus is not just providing a few more bottles to tick them over to last the day out. This is extraordinary provision. Uh, good wine, that is quite a party that Jesus has enabled to continue. Uh, now, of course, with COVID restrictions for the last year, uh, you may have been involved in very small wedding parties. It's been really sad that we haven't been able to celebrate marriages and weddings with the usual gatherings we would have. I've been privileged to take a few small weddings. Uh, the good thing about them is the focus has been very much on the marriage and the relationship. The sad thing has been not able to invite friends and family to enjoy and celebrate with them. Because marriage is part of God's creation plan. Uh, it doesn't just knit together a man and a woman in lifelong relationship. It knits together two families 
Uh, we've had three weddings among our five children. We're planning a fourth one at the moment. And each one is quite an operation as you work together with another family who become your in-laws. And that glue of families working together is part of what enriches society. Uh, marriage is part of God's creation blessing. Uh, and while not everybody will be married, it points us forward to the great marriage feast of the Lamb when Jesus returns. He, the bridegroom, the church is his bride. We will have the deep relationship with him that marriage points to. Uh, so marriage is part of God's great blessing. And Jesus made this one go really well. Uh, in those days, to run out of wine or not to provide would have been... Well, it's enough of an embarrassment now if, if the wedding party, you haven't got enough. That's sad. But in those days, the cultural sort of honour or shame culture or whatever in the Middle East to run out with wine would have been terrible. Uh, we don't quite know why Jesus' mum was involved. Was, it, was she the aunt to someone getting married? Who, we don't know. Uh, she was obviously involved. Someone has come to her and said, it's terrible, we're running out of wine. And she's decided to involve Jesus in this. And you get this slightly strange conversation with Jesus' mum that I'll touch on in a moment. But the key thing and why John has included this story is in verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John has seven particular miracles before we get to the resurrection. He calls them signs that point to much deeper truth about who Jesus is. The point is not so much the miracle in itself. It's what it reveals about Jesus and how it helps us to trust him. There are seven I am sayings in John's gospel. There's seven signs. There's these seven encounters with people. John's woven this gospel together very carefully. And quite often they tie together. So the feeding of the 5,000 is a sign and it points to I am the bread of life. Or the healing of the blind man is a sign and it points to Jesus saying I am the light of the world. Or he raises Lazarus from the dead and that's a sign that points to him being the resurrection and the life. So what is this sign, uh, the making of this vast quantity of wine at the wedding party, uh, turning the water into wine, what does that point us to? Well, first of all, it points us to the fact that God made the world through his word. Jesus is the word. The very three, first three verses in John's gospel, if we put those up, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And John describes Jesus as the word of God. He's made everything. So making a small amount of wine out of water is as nothing compared to making everything there is out of nothing. Jesus is the word who creates. Uh, but of course, God in his creation doesn't force people to believe in him. The creation is there. Uh, and if we have eyes to see, it can't just have happened. Who made this? Jesus provides the wine. And not everybody at the wedding party knows. The servants knew and the disciples knew. Jesus' mum knew. Uh, but the master of the feast didn't know. And the bridegroom must have been thoroughly mystified when he's congratulated on all this wonderful wine that he knows he hasn't produced. Uh, it's just there. Uh, but quietly in the background, Jesus has made this. And it points us to who he is. He is the word of God through whom everything was created. It also points us to the new creation that is coming. This life is not all there is. One day we know that Jesus will return. 
and everything will be made new and the whole heavens and earth will be renewed. There'll be no more suffering, no more shame, no more death, no more tears. And it's often described in the scriptures as like a wedding party. So let me give you a few examples. Back in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 8, uh, this is described as a party. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers nations. He'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. That's part of Isaiah's vision of what would come. And that's picked up in Revelation at the end of the Bible. Revelation 19 verse 9. The angel says to the apostle John as he gives the vision, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, heaven, the great party, the new heaven and new earth, is the wedding feast of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Word of God. A little bit later, Revelation 21, uh, we get this. John saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus turning the water into wine at this wedding is a sign that points forward to the wedding banquet there will be in heaven. And just as I said earlier, that marriage is a sign that points us to the relationship of Jesus with his church. Uh, so eternity is this great party. He wants us there. Now, if you have a good marriage, thank God for it, it will be even better in heaven. We'll have the real thing uh, as we relate deeply and intimately to God, to Jesus. If you have a, an unhappy marriage, you could thank God that it only lasts for this life and that the joy is coming in heaven. If you've been married two or three times and you're thinking it's all going to be a bit complicated in heaven, there will be no marriage in heaven because we will have the real thing. If you're single and you've not been married uh, or, you, or you were married, we ha you start the real thing now, which is the relationship with Jesus intimately. Uh, marriage is meant to be a sign that points us to God and his church. It's part of... Uh, we reflect God's goodness in creation, but it points us ahead. And I suspect that's one of the reasons that marriage is so under attack by the evil one in our society. It's so much more than a relationship. It's pointing to who God is and his heart for us. So this is a sign. It points to Jesus, the word of God in creation. It points to Jesus, who is the bridegroom. We are uh, going to be part of his bride. He's preparing us for that day. And of course it points us to the fact that Jesus is the giver of life and joy. Right at the heart of John's gospel you get this, John 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Well here he is creating great joy and great life for the wedding at Cana in Galilee. A wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm sure the word got out a bit later about how this wine happened. But Jesus was pointing to him all those signs. 
But what's this strange conversation with his mother and about his time not being here yet? Let's just read verses 3 to 5 again. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I suspect this is shorthand for a slightly longer conversation. Um, it is not that Jesus saying woman, is, there's no sense of rudeness about it. I think if we were to talk to our mothers like that, woman, what do you, it would feel a bit odd. But actually in the, uh, the language, the translation, there's nothing odd about this. But Jesus is saying, it's not my time yet. Jesus has been meditating and praying. He knows he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's praying about how he's going to do this. He's started to gather disciples, but he hasn't yet gone public in ministry yet. Uh, he knows he will do, but he knows that once he starts, uh, then the clock is ticking that is heading inevitably for the cross. And John's gospel talks a lot about Jesus's time. Let me just show you how it runs through John's gospel. Chapter two, verse four, he says, my hour has not yet come. Chapter seven and verse six and eight, we get this. Chapter seven, verse six, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Chapter seven, verse eight, you go to the festival. I'm not going up. My time has not yet fully come. Chapter seven and verse 30. They tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 8 and verse 20. He spoke these words while teaching the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 12, verse 23. This is after uh, Andrew brings some Greeks to Jesus. Uh, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Chapter 12, verse 27 to 28. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. Chapter 13 and verse 1. Just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. He says, there is a clock ticking the whole way through John's gospel. And I think the shorthand conversation when his mother says they've run out of wine, Jesus is saying, well, yes, I could provide the wine. I can bring joy to this wedding. I've come to bring joy to the whole world. But first, I'm going to have to die. And if I start this now, the clock is ticking, heading for my death. So that's all going on just in this very short conversation. But Jesus did act. He must have prayed, Father, what am I meant to do? Mum wants me to do this. <laughs> and he must have had the sense. He's been praying it through for ages. How do I start? And the father saying, go for it. Uh, this wedding is a perfect opportunity. It points to so many things. Jesus, the creator. Jesus, the bridegroom. Jesus, the giver of life and joy. So Jesus acted. And the wedding host relaxed. There was enough wine. And the party continued. And a clock started ticking, which led to the cross. And beyond that, to the joy that was the other side of the resurrection. Uh, if we go to the outside John's Gospel, the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 12, puts it like this. 
Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. I jotted down this quote from a sermon I read. Jesus sat amid the joy of the wedding feast, sipping the cup of sorrow to come, so that today, as we sit amid the sorrows and sufferings of this world, we can sit the coming joy to come. I love that. At the wedding, Jesus creates the wine and the joy. He knows the clock starts ticking that heads to the cross, but he's also looking beyond the cross to the joy that will come through the pain. In this world of so much suffering, and there is always going to be suffering in this world till Jesus returns, we need to look ahead to the joy to come and fix our eyes on Jesus. So even if life is difficult, we can sip the cup of joy that is to come. We're coming to communion. Uh, the cup in communion is there as a foretaste of the wine of the heavenly banquet uh, we're still under COVID rules, so those of you here in church, it's just the bread uh, we eat. The wine is there to remind us of Jesus. At home, you're very welcome to have bread and wine and join in with us in any way you like as we come to communion. But this is a sign that points to who Jesus is. We read that the disciples put their trust in him. That is what John has written the gospel for you and me to do. Right at the end of the gospel, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He's just selected seven signs, but he says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in these book, this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or you could write, that you may trust in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by trusting, you may have life in his name. So let's pray together. Would you stand? And perhaps the band would come back ready to lead us in our next song. Lord Jesus, we worship you, the word of creation from the beginning, who became flesh and lived among us, the God of creation, the one who made everything there is, the one who turns water into wine. Lord Jesus, we worship you as the head of the church, the bridegroom. How we praise you that because you died on the cross, you made it possible for us to be forgiven and adopted into your family part of your bride for all eternity we thank you for every good marriage that we know some of us fortunate to have good marriages but we thank you that they point to the ultimate reality of your intimate relationship with your people and we look forward to that day when you will come again and everything will be made new and we will be with you in the new heaven and the new earth drinking the wine of the kingdom of God so today, as we remember you in this bread and wine, as we feed on you in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving, give us grace to look up to you above the trials and difficulties of this life and to look forward to the heavenly party to come. So as we worship, we come to you. As we share bread and wine, we come to you. Draw us, we pray 
closer to you and help us to trust you, whatever we're facing. And all these things we pray in your name. Amen.